Today, I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God. Some of you may not be part of that kingdom yet, and we will pray that that changes soon. For a lot of us here, we have been part of his kingdom, and we've experienced his governance, we've experienced his lordship, and we've experienced his goodness. And for us, we're going to pray that we can experience that to a greater extent. So what is it? The kingdom of God is God's government established under the rulership of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom of God is God's government established under the rulership of his son, Jesus Christ. And that makes this kingdom different than any other that we see in this world. Because the reign of Jesus produces order instead of chaos. So if we look at all the other governments we see, it is so chaotic. It's so hard to tell what's happening, and it's so unclear. But Jesus' reign produces order, produces righteousness instead of guilt, produces peace instead of anxiety, produces faith and trust instead of fear and worry, joy instead of a spirit of heaviness, and hope instead of despair all through the Holy Spirit. This is the only kingdom that has those characteristics. Every other kingdom is not that way. It doesn't work that way. This kingdom is not known to the ambitious, but to the meek and the humble. It is not entered into by the proud or the strongest, but by those who are lost and are now found, who were once blind and now see, it's a kingdom for those who have been set free, those who have been healed, those who now know the truth. It's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. So Chris has been talking about um, leading up to the resurrection and the ascension. He did a great job talking about the ascension of Jesus into heaven, his authority. He used the term session. He said, Jesus is in session. He's in session over our lives over the circumstances all around us, Jesus is holding court. He is sitting on the throne. He is not only the risen king, but the ascended king. This is an important concept to grasp. God has established his Christ as supreme ruler over the universe. And that sounds kind of galactic and out there, but this is why. The extent to which Jesus yielded himself to the Father's will through the cross is matched by the degree to which the Father exalted him. And I'm going to say that again. I won't repeat everything, but this is, this is the crux of it. God has established his Christ as supreme ruler over the universe. The extent to which Jesus yielded himself to the Father's will through the cross is matched by the degree to which the Father exalted him bestowing on him the name that is above every name, so that in name, position, authority, inheritance, he is unmatched. And because he is God's delegated authority, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is from Philippians 2. And right before Paul says that, he exhorts us to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God 
did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or held onto. So Jesus humbled himself and yielded his will to the Father. Jesus yielded himself. The kingdom is not about military weapons or human strength, intelligence, or celebrity. It's experienced through humility, obedience, and the emptying of oneself that God may bring his purposes to bear through willing vessels. And that's us. That's the church. May God help us be more like Jesus. He's our example. I want to talk about single-mindedness. So Jesus is a bad dude, like the good bad, you know, like action movie and all the bad guys are surrounding and then like you don't know how you're going to get out, you're stuck, it's going to end in death. And then somebody shows up that completely changes it all, rescues the people, saves them, makes things right. Of course, a movie can't do it justice of what he's done for us. But he's a bad dude. He was tempted in a lot of ways. He had plenty of chances to fail, just like we have plenty of chances to fail. But his single-mindedness of being about his father's business is what made the difference. He wasn't drawn away to do his own things or to build his own kingdom, his own ministry. After Jesus was baptized by John, he fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. You remember the scene? gets baptized in the river, and then the sky opens up, and God's like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit descends on him. It's a pretty cool moment. And then the Spirit immediately leads him out to the wilderness, where he fasts for a long time. At the end of the fasting, Satan comes to him, and in two of the Gospels, it lists three temptations. So one is to create food for himself because he's hungry he's been fasting a long time like you know when you have you fasted before and it's like day one and you're like oh my god I would eat anything right now <laughs> like carrots seem so good I'm like salad yes <laughs> it has never looked so good but Jesus didn't do it Satan also tempted him to throw himself down from a high place he's like why not do it like God will save you right you're the anointed one He's there for you. And Jesus is like, no, we don't test the Lord your God. But the last one was he took him to a high place where he could see the splendor of all the earthly kingdoms. And he was like, I'll give you all of this. You just have to bow down to me. And Jesus was like, away from me, Satan. You know, I serve the Lord your God only. And he just wasn't having it. He was so single-minded in his devotion to what the father had him doing. Even when he was 12 years old and his family was traveling back home, he's in the temple. That's not the totality of the temptation Jesus faced. Because Paul talks about Jesus as our high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. I don't know how else to read that except for he was tempted in every way without sin, so he knows what we're going through. He understands. And it's so hard for us to remember that, like, not only is he this risen savior, but he experienced life as we experience. 
life. He was beaten. He was rejected. He went through all kind of abuse. He wasn't trusted by people. He didn't trust himself to people. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, one last time, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows the direction the Lord's leading him. And he's like, God, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, please let it. But not my will, your will be done. That's a moment of temptation where like the pain he was facing would make most people just scurry away. Like just turn around, pretend it doesn't exist. You never heard it. Just live a pain-free life. It's kind of like the matrix. It's like everything seems okay, but nothing's really okay. But that's not what he does. He says, your will be done. This is why Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God and made to rule over all things. His singular focus and obedience to the will of the Father. He continually put it above everything else. And like Jesus, we're tempted to choose ourselves, to serve ourselves. We're tempted to try to save ourselves and provide for ourselves. But also like Jesus, we're called by the Father to be about his business, about his kingdom, single-mindedly. This is a quote from Charles Simpson about the kingdom. He says, The kingdom of God is personally revealed within the lives of all who acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. The kingdom of God demonstrated through those who obey him become a visible society and a light to the nation. To the nations. That's his church. If you're part of his kingdom, you're part of his church. You're part of that light on the hill, city on the hill, the light that's shining. Hope for people. That's his kingdom. Now, you could be part of a church, and maybe not in his kingdom, I don't know. But we won't go there this morning. We're talking about, if we're in his kingdom, we're part of his church. We're his body, and we are called to serve his purposes on this earth. How do we enter this kingdom? I have four simple steps. All right. That, <laughs> have you ever seen Agent Oso? Isn't that what that's from? But it's three simple steps. But he like, uh, it's silly. He teaches kids how to like jump rope or tie their shoes or whatever. They're scared. They don't know how to do it. And he shows up. He's this cartoon bear. It's kind of weird, but it's kind of helpful if you don't know how to do those things. He breaks it down into really small steps that people can understand. So jump rope might be like, step one, hold the rope in both hands. Step two, throw the rope over your body. Step three, jump. Stuff like that. But he shows you how to. Anyway, (sighs) we haven't watched that in a while. Anyway, I got four simple steps to enter the kingdom. Step one, sin. Everybody good on that one? (laughs) You know how to do it? Good at it? Yep. Okay. Step one, complete. Step two is conviction. So conviction, the Holy Spirit reveals or exposes where we've been serving ourselves. And that comes from him. He's the one who convicts. Step three is repentance. Repentance is changing our course or direction. You've heard us People say it's turning from whatever we're serving over to him. 
direction change, course change. Uh, it's a change of heart after consideration and regret. So we've taken the time to see what's happened, what our actions have led to, and then we're able to see with revelation, step four, God opening our eyes to himself and to his truth. The important part to remember is sin, that's, that's on us, we do that. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Repentance is our choice, though we need the Holy Spirit's help to be convicted first. So there's steps to this. And then the revelation comes from God. He opens our eyes to himself and his truth. Do you know what those four steps kind of convey, what they sum up? You don't have to yet. I'm about to tell you. So in John, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It sums up being born again. Those are the steps. We sin. We're born into it. And because of our lack of faith, we continue in it. And then his Holy Spirit shows up and starts to convict us. And it's like, that's not what I have for you. That's not you. That's just what you've been choosing. But that's not you. And then repentance, where we say, God, you're right. I don't want that. That, that is not good. That has not led to anything good. I want what you have for me. And then the revelation. He opens our eyes and he reveals himself. And he bids us come with him. Our right relationship with God comes from the experience of being born from above. That is born of the spirit. This is what qualifies us to be received by God, cleared of our sins, and able to participate in his eternal spiritual kingdom. So what he does is what qualifies us. We can't do it. We know that. <sighs> Changing hands. I'm not wearing the little, was that called a countryman, Mike? I don't know. It's what they, you know, Garth Brooks used to wear it. Chris wears it. Britney Spears. I'm just not there yet. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to. All right. Back on track. What does it look like? So the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom, though it is exalted above all things physical and affects the physical. In the Gospels, Jesus demonstrates the power of his spiritual kingdom over physical things such as disease, healing the sick, hunger, he feeds thousands and thousands of people, and nature, he talks to wind and waves and tells them to stop, and they do it. Jesus taught us that seeking the kingdom first would solve the other problems. So it's healing first spiritually. This process starts in our spirits. It's reunited to him relationally, and that's what can affect all the other areas. That can set our emotions right, and that can set our circumstances right. And what it really does, it makes circumstances not matter so much. We're not weighed down by cares of this world. And it's not that seeking the kingdom first is like a 
coin in the vending machine of life where you put in your token and you get something good. We can't use it that way. Seeking his kingdom first and yielding ourselves in obedience is what opens the door for him to be glorified and us to be part of it. There's a lot of blessing in that, more than we get from the vending machine of life. It's not always visible, but we can learn to see the effects of it. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But Jesus said when the Pharisees questioned him, he was like, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or look, there it is. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's already here. And I, when I was preparing what to share about today, I was praying a lot. Uh, but you know when God's speaking clearly and it feels like it's like a current of what he's saying that's pushing a certain direction. Like you can get in that current and go with him or you can fight it or whatever. But the current of what he was saying was about the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. I'm going to read the first part, then we're going to talk through it. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And I was sort of like, well, God, why are you talking about this? And I mean, I see some correlation in there. But he said, if you read through this, any, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that is what the kingdom looks like, and that's how we're called to be in his kingdom. He goes on to talk about a lot of aspects of how we're to live, being salt and light. Uh, he talks about he fulfills the law. Uh, murder and adultery both begin in the heart, and that's just as bad. You can't write people off, literally, like in divorce. This was the custom of the time. He talks about telling the truth, going the second mile, loving our enemies, giving in a way that's not to be seen, how to pray, which includes thy kingdom come, thy will be done, how to fast, the fallacy that you can serve God and money, it's one or the other, how to deal with anxiety and worry, how in whatever way we dispense judgment on others, that's how we're going to be judged. How to petition the Father, believing he is good. And how to enter the kingdom. He says it's a narrow gate. But there's a wide gate and a broad road that leads to destruction. These are little glimpses into how his kingdom operates. I'm getting ready to close. I'm going to read one more quote by someone. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot. She says, if we do anything to further the kingdom of God, we may expect to find what Christ found on that road. 
abuse, indifference, injustice, misunderstanding, trouble of some kind. Take it. Why not? That, it's that you were called to. It's that we were called to. The road that Christ walked. The other thing that we'll find on that road is the approval of our Heavenly Father. And we will find our inheritance as co-heirs with Christ. And we'll find our purpose. And in that purpose is complete fulfillment. So we want to be a people who are about our Father's business. And the whole gist of what I believe God is saying today is a reminder of how different his kingdom is to the way we normally operate. And he doesn't want to so much make little tweaks in us as he wants to tear everything out and build it up his way. And so this morning, I am, I'm finishing so early, guys. And that is so that everyone here has plenty of time to respond to what God is saying to you. We're going to have, I guess, Justin, you can go ahead and come up. I know this is early. Do it, bro. That was a good word this morning, too. So we want to do our part. We already did our part in sinning. And right now, God is doing his part in convicting us. He is showing us things that we are operating in that are not part of his kingdom. He is showing us things where we have undersold our purpose and our identity to be part of things that are not his kingdom. And he is calling us home. So what we're going to do, Justin has another song to play. The worship team's coming up. There are some elders and some leaders that are going to be up front. And you don't have to come up here to pray. You can stay where you are and pray that whatever it is God is putting his finger on right now, that he would help you give that up. He would help you repent. That's our next step is the repentance. Where have we been in our own kingdom? Where have we not been about our Father's business? It may be something small. It may be something big. It may be one thing. It may be a hundred things. And maybe you're not exactly sure yet what God is saying. But you can come up here. There are going to be leaders up here. And you can talk to somebody. You can share your heart with somebody. These are men and women who have walked with God for a long time and they have proven themselves trustworthy. And they are people who are safe to talk with, safe to pray with. You can also find people that you relate to or that you're in home group with and get prayer that way. But I encourage you, whatever God is putting his finger on, don't be alone in it. Talk to someone, pray with someone. Because the next part is he reveals himself in his truth. And we get to live a different life in a different kingdom 